you're listening to This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. This episode is sponsored by Tension Group. Tension Group exists to help churches thrive through strategic and effective communication, including graphic design, web design and development, and social media strategies. And there are big reason the TNL website looks as good as it does. Check them out at tensiongroup.com. Today on the podcast, we have Pastor Eric Smith. Eric is a city pastor with Church in Action in Germany. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Britt Bolojack, and I'm here with my guest, Eric Smith. Eric is one of the city pastors at Church in Action in Darmstadt. Darmstadt. Um, so if you could tell us a little bit about your family background, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? Well, first, thank you so much um, for having me. Well, sure. It's a privilege to be here. It really is. Um, it's been a joy to listen to the podcast. And um, yeah, kind of interesting uh, how I ended up in the Church of the Nazarene. I don't really have a long heritage or uh, any prior connections. Um, I, I was born and raised in Germany uh, to a single mother. Um, my grandmother actually was the, the only Christian influence that I had in my life. And um, uh, my, my uh, grandma's German, my grandfather was American. Um, they moved to the States in the late 60s. Um, my mom was born here in Oklahoma. Shortly after they divorced, and so my my grandma moved back to Germany with my mom, and uh, so my mom grew up in Germany, and uh, that's where I was later born in Germany. And um, uh, years later, we came back to the states at the age of twelve, and it was really uh, in college. I was recruited by Coach Steve Holsey for golf. Um, that was my first introduction to the Nazarene world, and I remember at that point uh, my grandma was, you know, was kind of worried. Uh, you know, what what is this Nazarene thing? Is is it a is it a cold? Is it a you know? I've never heard of it. Please check it out before you go. Um, well, you know, and then throughout my time in college, uh, I, I uh, realized and found that um, the Nazarene Church would then have just uh, an incredibly a huge impact on my life, uh, mm. on on forming uh, me and shaping me. Uh, what theology is concerned, what my what my uh, personal relationship with Christ is concerned, and really created in me a, a love for this community, for this church, through really the people who influenced me in my time in college. Uh, one of them, one of those key people, being Coach Steve Holsey. Uh, that, that's how I, I got introduced to the Church of the Nazarene, and uh, that kind of started um, several stepping stones, several things that later then would open doors um, to be further uh, more involved and, and to be more of a, of a key part of the Church of the Nazarene, which has just been uh, a privilege for me to, to get to jump in. Well, tell me more about that. So you go to college, Nazarene University, and... Um did you major in ministry and theology? Did you know at the time that you had a call to be a pastor? Well, you know, over the years, uh, I did not major in theology and ministry. I actually majored in finance uh, with kind of the big dream of going to the FBI. That was my uh, reason for uh, uh, 
uh, majoring in finance. Uh, I remember uh, one of the guys at, at uh, the BFC College group, uh, uh, Mr. Rains, I think it was Rick Rains, who was a retired FBI agent, um, was a was a another uh, person that really influenced me, and so I was had the dream of kind of following in his footsteps. Um, but but over the years, through different roles that I stepped into, um, it felt like God was continuing to reveal uh, a sense of calling in my life. Um, you know, first it started with with kind of taking a, a spiritual leadership role on the golf team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Coach Holsey really believed in me and really called out that potential in me as a leader. And I never had that before in my life. Uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I grew up with a single mother. I never had a father figure in my life. So having these guys come into my life, seeing the potential, not just as a leader, but as a spiritual leader, uh, was, was very meaningful. And so um, later I got to uh, step into the role of VP of, of Campus Ministries, um, which then allowed me to serve more and more in a spiritual leadership role on campus. And then I also got to lead um, uh, two teams uh, to Germany, um, through the SNU missions program. Mm. Um, and that kind of started back uh, meeting uh, one of the pastors in Germany, Chris Zimmerman, at General Assembly. And uh, I was just so blown away um, by what they were doing in Frankfurt. Um, I went back to our missions director at SNU and I said, we've got to go to Germany. And uh, over the years, I just I just saw such a, a deep uh, need in Germany uh, for for spiritual awakening, uh, especially in Europe, Europe wide. Mm. Um, but that always kind of stirred in me, and and thinking and wrestling with these things, um, God was working in me, I believe, and, and started revealing a sense of calling to ministry. And I never really knew what that meant. I was also very business driven, being a finance guy. So I was always wrestling with where do I go? What does that mean? What does ministry look like? Maybe combined with that business uh, passion. Um, so that was kind of what I was wrestling with in college and trying to figure out where, where that would take me. So how did you end up where you are now? Good question. Um, I ask myself that still today sometimes. Um, yeah, I, I just remember it goes back to uh, General Assembly when I met Chris Zimmerman. Um, my kind of curiosity of wanting to know what the church is doing in Germany um, over the times when I went back summers to visit my grandparents who still live there, um, like I said, I just I just felt this spiritual pover- poverty, a rich country materialistically, but uh, spiritually poor, uh, dead uh, really. And um, so when he told me what was happening in Frankfurt, I actually got on a plane three weeks later, mm-hmm. and I, I ended up showing up in front of his doorstep, and I said, "Chris, I'm here. I want to know what's going on and see it for myself." That's when I went back. Uh, to to our missions director at SNU and and through leading those trips um, I just got more and more involved in seeing what the church is doing in Germany and became really more and more connected with that and and continued to see maybe God is calling me here Um, and and it was kind of funny because Chris and his brother Philip uh, who both uh, are the senior pastors of the church uh, were always kind of jokingly trying to to keep me there recruit me to stay and I told them at the very beginning I said I've I've got up and left the country and gone to another place once before, I'm not doing it again. I'm never moving back to Germany. I have mm-hmm. no plans. I'm not doing it. No chance. And then actually after after college, uh, through a mentor of mine, I had an opportunity to step into a role at Kimray, a local oil and gas company, who was looking to uh, move to Germany within the next two years. And so I saw an opportunity there of potential bivocational ministry, um, having something in Germany to, to have a job, but also kind of be involved in the church. Um, but then that first year at Kimray, 
I just wrestled with a lot of things. Uh, I just uh, realized, uh, really for me, that when I look back, uh, I just remember my day-to-day life in that cubicle. Uh, it felt like, for me, it felt like a prison. It felt like everything that I was made to do, wired to do, uh, was contained in, in that in that cubicle. And you know, at that time, I, I was making such good money after college. I was the first college graduate in my family. Uh, my family never had a lot of money. I made more money at that point than my mom and anyone in my family has ever made combined mm. and uh, bought a brand new car. I was comfortable here. Uh, I, I put in my hours at, at uh, BFC and at times at OKC first just trying to help out where I could with youth stuff. And um, But I felt a deeper call uh, to follow deeper into ministry. Mm. And so my last trip last May, um, I, I led the team as an adult leader, the Sims team from SNU to Germany. And I had shared with Chris over the year just my my, rest, my wrestlings and my struggles. And uh, it was there that he actually took me into his office one day, locked the door, and said, you're not leaving until I'm done with you. And uh, we spent about three-plus hours, uh, three to four hours in conversation and prayer. And he was really just challenging me to, to open my heart. If God is calling me, would I be willing to go? Mm. Because what I wrestled with was... What, what does it really mean to follow Christ? What does that actually mean? You know, I've, I've, I talked to people about it in school. I was talking to people about it in my positions, and I talked about trusting God and His faithfulness. But um, in the comfort that I'm living right now and trying to kind of balance that, uh, where's that actually becoming real? And so as soon as I got back from that trip last May, I just knew uh, that, that uh, there was more. Mm. And I remember my first day back at Kimray, and it was the longest day of my life. And mm. I just knew I was not going to be here much longer. And I entered a time of about six weeks of, of seeking God, prayer and fasting. And I actually didn't tell anybody about it, my parents, my no, my friends, nobody. And looking back, I felt like maybe that wasn't the best idea. You know, I feel like it's important to include community. But I knew that if I was looking for any advice, it would be for people to give me reasons to stay, not to go. Yeah. So I, I wanted, I wanted to, to kind of stay away from that. And I just remember after about six weeks, I just had such a convincing, convicting feeling um, that I just knew. And, and, you know, when I tell people this, the, 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 the roof in my apartment didn't open up. And, and God gave me, you know, dropped a letter in my, in my hands and said, go to Germany. But I just knew in my heart that, that this, this was a time where God is calling me out to jump. And uh, I just remember that that night I prayed. I was crying, tears in my eyes. I just knew I needed to go. Mm. And the next morning I got up. I couldn't even sleep that night. I just emailed Chris Zimmerman. And I said, all I said in in the email in capital letters was, I am coming. Mm. And that next week I quit my job. I sold my car. I sold 80% of my belongings and booked a one-way flight to Germany. Wow. Uh, Last August, end of last August, I flew over. And September 1st I took on uh, my role there. So you've been there about a year. Yep. Has anything been scary, intimidating, overwhelming? Do you find yourself feeling like you're not ready or doing things that are out of your comfort zone? Um, I would say probably every day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Every day. Um, So initially, uh, when, when Chris asked me to come join the staff in Germany, uh, he talked to me about uh, heading up a project um, called a World Goes Kia, Kia being just the acronym for Kirchenaktion, 
And that being kind of the reverse project of, uh, you know, for, for a few years now, we've sent out teams into the world uh, just with the, with the uh, idea of, of, of encouraging uh, a global church, uh, uh, partnering with people, supporting other ministries, and uh, reversing that. Uh, we've kind of had uh, the vision and the idea of what would it look like if we also invited people to come to Germany. Uh, to see what's happening in Germany, to partner uh, with people in, in, in uh, rethinking what it looks like to be the church uh, in such a context, to pray for, for, for one another, to, to just create a network, um, to, 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 um, to uh, be the body uh, more in, in such a way that, that, that would know what we're doing. Um, and so when I landed, I remember uh, I got in the car and, and Chris said, you know, this whole project we've talked for months about, uh, I'm not sure that's really what I want you to do. I feel like God's leading me to, to lead you into another position. And so um, it, it was at that point where uh, we were in um, 21 locations in four cities, uh, a location meaning uh, that uh, every two weeks at the same time, same place, uh, most of them services are taking place, uh, some of the places, social projects. And at that point in time, Chris Phil, uh, and his brother Philip were pastoring the whole, the whole thing, and it's just gotten so big that it's been hard for them to keep up. And uh, so they um, tried to think of a way to to kind of um, uh, create more room for more pastors to come alongside. So uh, they. Uh, implemented the structure of having a city pastor in each city uh, who would be responsible for um, leading the locations in that city, for pastoring the people, connecting with the people, um, building relationships with the people, and also looking for further opportunities to continue to, to go into new locations. And then Chris and Philip uh, would just very closely mentor these city pastors, walk alongside them, uh, teaching them in leadership and in, in what it means to be a pastor. And so uh, the city in Darmstadt, uh, where we launched in April of last year, uh, we had just been there for a few months when I got there in August, um, uh, really a, a place uh, where, uh, where there are a lot of young people. It's, it's a university city, about 45,000 students. Uh, Darmstadt has a population of about 150,000 people. And uh, so you know, we hadn't had a city pastor at that point for that city. And, and Chris said, you know, I can really see you in this role as a, mm -hmm. as a city pastor in this place. Um, the way I've, 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 I've seen you grow over the last year, the gifts I see in you, um, I, I really want to see if, if this is something God's calling you into. And at that point, you know, I, I've had uh, times of, of, uh, of, of feeling like God is calling me in somewhat of a pastoral role. I never really could imagine myself in, 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 in so much of a traditional senior pastor type of role. Um, but I was, I was attracted and I was, I was really, I kind of connected with that idea of, of, of that role specifically. And so, I, you know, I told Chris, yeah, I'd love to to see what God does, and and I'm open. I'm I'm here without. I didn't. I came without expectation. I came at that point. I'd given up everything. I'm just ready for God to to uh, to to lay His hands on on whatever He wants me to do, and just mm -hmm. bless it. And um, so that's when I stepped into the role of of being a city pastor, and um, I've been doing that for a year now. So what does that look like? Maybe what is a typical week like? as a city pastor? Sure. Um, typical week is also, you know, a question I get often and I don't know quite how to answer. Um, typically what it looks like is that um, 
And Mondays, I, I kind of organize my week. Uh, I try to take care of emails. I try to do uh, most of the logistics. Um, Tuesdays is our, our staff meeting day, so we're all in Frankfurt. Uh, all the cities, the, the staff people meet in Frankfurt at our offices. And um, we, we, do, we, do, um, we have a city pastor meeting with Chris and Philip, uh, so pastoral meeting. We have a staff meeting. And then we kind of work as a staff together throughout the day um, with things that we couldn't work on if we were all spread out in the cities. Um, and then Wednesday, Thursday specifically, I spend in Darmstadt all day. Uh, I meet with people. I have coffee with people. I meet with people that are new. I meet with people who are interested. I meet with uh, people who have been a part of our community, um, and maybe people who have been going through some struggles, some tough times. It's just me being 100% available at that time uh, for anyone. Um, Fridays is my day off. Uh, that's when, um, and that's something that Chris and Philip, you know, and mentoring us have been very, very strict on is, is taking a day of rest, taking a Sabbath. And so Friday, I turn off my phone, I turn off my laptop, I just rest. I spend time in prayer, I spend time doing whatever I need to do, whatever I feel like is uh, renewing and, and restful for me. Um, Saturdays is kind of last-minute preparations for Sunday. And then Sundays, uh, you know, we have tons of services. Uh, one Sunday we have, I believe, seven services now. And on another Sunday um, we have three or four services. And those are spread out throughout the four cities. Um, but, but I'm partially involved in Frankfurt uh, at times to kind of support there. The services are in the mornings. Um, and then uh, my services in Darmstadt are each Sunday, 7 p.m., um, so uh, we're uh, one of our locations is a coffee shop where we started a year ago, and then our second location is a rooftop bar slash restaurant, and those are kind of our two main locations uh, where we're at right now, um, doing services. And then we also have a few social projects that are weekly taking place in Domshut as well. What is your role like on Sundays? Are you preaching every Sunday? I, I preach once every four weeks. So the city pastor preaches once every four weeks. Um, and uh, we also we, we try to rotate as much as possible. One of the things that, that Chris really uh, felt strongly about implementing, um, you know, he spent uh, two years as a senior pastor of Frankfurt First Church of the Nazarene before he planted this church. And one of the, the uh, themes that, that, that were always so central in a pastor's life were just um, the, the constant pressure of... of uh, one of the, the constant pressures of just having to, to speak every week, week after week having a message. And, and so uh, he felt like, you know, in order to relieve some of that pressure, in order to make it easier for a pastor to, to build relationships with people, to be there for the people and not have to worry about it, uh, preaching every Sunday, is that, that we would uh, live in somewhat of a rotation to where none of us really have to speak every week. Um, but for us coming in, you know, city pastors being uh, most of the time uh, younger people who are still in, in, in school finishing their, their, um, their, their classes for ordination and, and kind of being in training, being led into what it means to be a pastor, um, our responsibility is to speak once every four weeks. So who's, who's preaching when you're not preaching? Um, Chris or Philip. Oh right, they yeah. come. So they we're come to we're your... right, and and we we bring in guest speakers at times as well, uh, whether it's from one of our communities in, in the other cities, or if we have guests from out of the country, uh, we try to in involve them as well. Are both of the locations in your city at seven p.m.? Yes. And so, do you just choose which one you're going to? No. So uh, everything that we do happens on a biweekly rhythm. Oh, okay. So everything is every two weeks. 
Gotcha. So basically one Sunday night we're in the coffee shop, the next Sunday night we're in the rooftop bar. And are those two completely different sets of people, or do you have a lot of the same people going? You know, most of the places uh, uh, that uh, where the location changes, there there is uh, probably 60% of the people are different. Hmm. Um, 30 to 40% will be the same people. Um, uh, you know, a core group that, uh, that, that this is their church. Um, this is their community. They're there on a weekly basis. Mm. And that, that would be about 50, 50 60 people. Um, but every Sunday, you know, we started a year ago in Darmstadt with five to ten people. And now every Sunday, people are standing at the doors, um, 80 to 90 people every Sunday. Um, a core group of that are the same people. And then we always have new people or people that only come every two weeks, maybe once a month, maybe just to a certain location because they feel like the coffee shop feels more... Uh, like like a place that they can imagine going to church or imagine uh, you know being more home more comfortable mm. uh, the rooftop bar is a little more upscale more expensive uh, so we oftentimes get more business minded people or, or people that that maybe go to the that place during the week are familiar with it that sort of thing uh, what is cool, that, uh, something that we've seen, is that, that people have gained a connection with the spaces that we're in in the sense that throughout the week uh, they're more likely to go mm. enjoy a coffee or, or work in a place like that mm. uh, that they're familiar with yeah. uh, rather than going somewhere else. Also through relationships that are built then with the owners or workers, people that we have a chance to influence, and so that's special as well. Mm. I love that. Um, let me back up just a little bit and ask you about your theological ex- uh, education. So mm-hmm. you went to Nazarene Institution, but you got a degree in finance. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about kind of your journey theologically. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I went to SNU. As, as changed my degree like 50 times. I stopped counting at some point uh, because I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And uh, uh, then I decided uh, on finance, basically, because up to that point I had so many business classes, it just made sense. And I didn't want to be a business administration major because everybody does it. And so I wanted to specialize in some sort of a way. And, and uh, I don't know if I mentioned earlier that kind of my dream to go to the FBI, finance was one of those areas that right, they had right. on their critical um, things that they look for. Um, but one of the things, and that was also part of kind of my journey in, 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 in God revealing my call, is I just gained a passion and interest uh, for theology. Mm. And so really any time I had an open space, uh, you know, also through relationships I built with professors in the theology department, I would just jump in and, and take a class when I could. Um, I even audited a couple of classes from uh, Dr. Steve Green just because I loved uh, listening and learning from him so much. And so that gave me a little bit more of a, a theological foundation. But uh, one of the um, one of uh, the things that 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 were part of me going to Germany as well uh, were that, that that the church would pay for my further education oh, in theology. Awesome. And so Chris said from the very beginning, he said, "When you come, you know, I want to provide for you to continue education, especially in pastoral ministry. You know, we want to educate you. We want to we want to join you on that journey." So I, I immediately jumped into. Uh, the MDiv program in missional leadership at NNU uh, last fall started a few weeks after I got to Germany, so moved to countries and then stepped right into my master's program. Been there now for a year, uh, and um, now that we're launching this program in Manchester, uh, and a program that is much more customized on what we're doing, wrestling with the questions that we're asking, um, I'm looking right now to to transfer over 
and I'll continue there in January. So um, I've, I've fulfilled my requirements for my district license. Um, all of us city pastors in the spring, we received our district license, mm. and uh, I'm now in the process of, of working towards ordination. Mm. So tell me more about that partnership with um, Nazarene Theological College in Manchester, because I know you guys are working with them. Mm-hmm. One of the big visions uh, that that Church in Action has, and, and really uh, a long-term vision to uh, revive a young leadership, uh, especially part of the Nazarene Church in Germany and Europe, <clears throat> uh, we know that we need to train young leaders. We need to offer certain opportunities. And so uh, we've started conversation uh, about six months ago uh, with the college uh, there in Manchester. And so we had some of the professors uh, come to Frankfurt in the last few months uh, to start conversation of what it would look like uh, to offer a master's program um, that's specifically customized for the type of church planting, the work that we see necessary to revive the church in a context like Europe. Um, so it's kind of developed into uh, a, a master's in, in theology, leadership, and city transformation um, to prepare people to build the kingdom, um, not even just in the church, but in any aspect of, of, of professional life. Um, so even the goal of, of this master's is not necessarily to uh, tie people down to working with Church in Action after this program is finished or to tie people down to just work within the church uh, specifically, but to be equipped uh, as part of the church, as part of the larger body, to uh, be a part of transforming a city, literally, uh, in a place like Europe. Um, so we're launching this, this program. The first launch is going to be in January. Um, the way it looks like, and it even goes further into a partnership that we've developed with Extreme Nazarene. Mm. Uh, Extreme Nazarene being an organization for some people that might not know in South America that over the last 10 years have, have planted churches, um, uh, almost 90 churches in the last 10 years. And their model is kind of, uh, the way it looks is they, they recruit five North Americans, five South Americans, and then plant a church uh, with a local pastor. Uh, it's a two-year uh, a commitment, and after two years, the goal is really to to create a, a self-sustaining church mm. uh, financially, uh, as far as people, pastors go, and then for the for the organization to totally take its hands off. So they've come alongside us, uh, seeing the opportunity and potential in, in Germany to grow the church with the model that Church in Action has kind of developed. And so uh, right now, we're in the process of recruiting two North Americans and two Germans. Uh, to, to create a team of four with the local city pastor to plant uh, churches in Germany. Two and a half year commitment, being part of um, this master's program. So it would look like two days a week of, of focused studies, four days a week practical um, ministry, uh, whether that is uh, specifically church planting, project management, coffee shop management, whatever it may be within the ministry. Um, and uh, we hope that this creates uh, momentum, creates an opportunity for young people to see value in that, uh, but to also regain a passion, regain a fire for the church, mm. uh, for leadership um, in the European context. Mm. So you've obviously mentioned Church in Action several times. Can you tell me more about Church in Action, what it's like? Um, I know you guys don't have a building, so I'm just curious like how everything works and, and what your experience has been like there. 
Sure, yeah, it's, it's, it's always a challenge to explain exactly how it all works and how it's set up because uh, some days I lose track of all the stuff that's happening. Uh, but it, it really goes back to uh, prior to seven years ago uh, when, when Chris Zimmerman was the senior pastor at Frankfurt First Church of the Nazarene. Um, you know, at that time, uh, just before he took that position, you know, he studied law. Um, after law, he started a business, a very successful catering business, and and uh, soon realized that he, he was really just building his own kingdom. Mm-hmm. Felt a call to pastoral ministry, you know, a long heritage of, of, of Nazarenes. His, his father, Hans Jürgen, being a very well-known evangelist in, in Germany uh, in the past, Nazarene. Um, and then his father, uh, his grandfather, Richard Zahner, mm-hmm. um, you know, very, very a key figure in the growth of the Church of Nazarene in Africa. Mm. And so um, Chris, in his time of building this business, uh, he, he felt a call to pastoral ministry. He sold his business, uh, went to NNU to get a master's in pastoral leadership, uh, became pastor, took over for his dad at Frankfurt First Church. And uh, he's always had a deep love for the church, um, has had a deep love to see uh, the church once again being revived in Germany. Um, really being aware of, of the, 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 the fact that in, in Europe, church has just become irrelevant. Uh, there's just, it's, it's become such a secular, postmodern, post-Christian culture and, and asking questions of how can, we, how can we be the church again to where people can reconnect with church, with God, with a relationship. And um, he knew that doing, uh, in order to do that, uh, we, we have to move out of the walls of the church. We have to go to where the people are, and so mm. uh, that—that's really what he was trying to do at, at Frankfurt First Church, and, and um, it was very tough for him. It was very tough, and uh, a lot of challenges. And so after two years, uh, being a bit frustrated, but um, but also understanding where people are, and just uh, saying, you know what, uh, I believe my call is somewhere else. Mm. Uh, I, I just need to start something, uh, something new, something different. And so, so I feel called to, to do that. You know, I love all of you here, but, but I need to go do this. That's when him and his brother Philip, uh, actually in Mainz where we started originally, with a coffee shop, um, started a church in action. Mm-hmm. And so the idea really behind it is, uh, we don't have a church building like you mentioned. Um, uh, uh, believing that, um, you know, church and mission can't really be separated. That being on mission is what it means to be the church. Mm. Uh, asking the question, well, what does that look like in our context? Uh, you know, we, we ask questions, well, well, where are people already gathering? Where, you know, how can we reconnect with people? Well, it, it means going to where the people are. Where are people naturally, organically meeting? It's in, it's in places like coffee shops, like bars, restaurants. Um, so, so we uh, opened a coffee shop in Mainz, uh, Coffee Shop Awake, and uh, with, with the vision of, of building relationships, of, of, of incarnational ministry, um, like Paul said, becoming all things to all people, learning, learning how people talk these days, learning how people, uh, what, what, what moves people these days, or, uh, uh, how do they live, what is their culture like? And, and, and I know there's a fine line, you know, people ask, well, where's the line uh, where, where you start becoming more uh, like these people, you know, being in the world but not of the world? Well, uh, you know, and I, I often tell people, you know, I, I'm con- convinced that, you know, first we, we have to be, we, we have to know who we are. We have to know that our di- identity is in Christ and, you know, people, and I think that goes back to, to even the Pharisees, you know, they are so afraid that if they touch something that's unclean, they would become unclean. 
But then you came Jesus, and he touched those that are unclean. But he didn't become unclean. They became holy. They became clean. Mm. And so what would it look like if we as the church actually believed that being in Christ actually means that we have the power and authority through Christ, not because we're anything special, but because in Christ we can go and we can touch the things of this world and that God wants to redeem all creation through that. And so we started in a coffee shop and, and you know, asking this question, where do people meet? Where, 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 where's the need? That's how we expanded into, into places like, like bars and restaurants and uh, hospitals, elder, el- elderly homes. You know, the elderly homes in Germany, 80% of the people are shut. It's no family, mm. no way of getting out. Mm. Well, if we built a church across the street, you know, we can stand there with signs and have the coolest things going on, but how are they going to come? They can't. So we went and we built relationships with people that worked, and we said, what if we came and every two weeks we just have a church service and whoever wants to come can come? Well, we've been doing that for almost five years now in, in several elderly homes. And actually, Chris's grandfather, Richard Zonard, 82 years old, is there every two weeks, preaching his heart out. We've got 50 to 60 old people. Half of them don't even know what's going on. <laughs> but it's about just being present with them, being being love for them. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, hospitals, every two weeks we're in a hospital chapel. We knock on every single door and we invite people to, to come be a part of an encouraging service, of, of a message of hope. And so we actually push people down in their hospital beds, down into the chapel, bunch of different people, and we just have a short message of hope and talk yeah. with people, pray with people. And so it's really about going mm. to where the people are, going yeah. to the people. And, um, you know, one of the core things we talk about is even uh, trying to invite people to be, be part of the church. You know, inviting in, in Europe has, has become irrelevant. People don't come anymore. Mm. Uh, and one of the reasons I, uh, we think uh, sometimes is the, the, the thing that we've, we talk about um, uh, belonging, behaving, and believing. That, you know, we've put up all these barriers for people to actually belong in a church. You know, we've, we've, we've put up all these checkpoints, all these things that people have to pass in order to actually belong. Mm. And, you know, we've said, you know, let's turn that around. What if we, anywhere we are, whether it's a coffee shop or whatever, as soon as they walk in, they immediately belong. Mm. Um, and inviting them on that journey, just like Jesus said, come follow me. You know, when I think back of, of the Last Supper, right before Jesus was crucified, you know, we read uh, that story and we realize that most of the disciples, even at that point after three years, still didn't know what was happening. They still didn't understand it all. And so how can we expect people to understand before they belong? So. Inviting them on the journey, come be a part of us, uh, uh, come come join us in doing good, mm. doing kingdom work, and and you know surprisingly in, in in a place like Europe, especially Germany, people are up for doing good for others. Um, it is it is easy to invite people to do something good. They're up for that. Mm. You know, even our our teams that we send out this year, we send out uh, ten teams, 150 people, uh, ten different countries, and 30 to 40 percent of those people are atheists, non. Uh, agnostics I don't even know but uh, we, we look at it as a mission mission trip uh, and, 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 and we see people through uh, encountering God in new ways uh, without even knowing it uh, entering into this journey of faith asking questions wrestling with things and um, you know we pray that as they as they join the journey you know they start behaving more like us mm-hmm. we see it over and over again and as the disciples followed Jesus, they started behaving more and more like Him. And we just pray that, you know, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that through time, 
they come to a place of believing, of saying, man, I want to follow Christ. Mm. I want to step into baptism. I want to, I want to start this journey. Mm. And, you know, we see this over and over, and I could tell hours of stories of people who have gone this journey. Um, and it's just one of the most beautiful things to, to witness and be a part of. Mm. I know one of the things that Church in Action does is work with refugees. Can you tell me about mm. that ministry? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I've mentioned we, we do several social projects uh, because we believe that the church has to be uh, where the city's greatest need is. And so, so we do projects. Uh, we we have a, we have teams that go out every week um, into brothels, uh, meeting prostitutes, praying with them, handing out Bibles. Uh, but you know, as many know, uh, we have one of the greatest crises in in, in this world in our history. Uh, that's the refugee crisis. And uh, in Germany alone, we've had you know stats say that we've had around one million refugees enter Germany in 2015. Mm. And so we've been doing refugee ministry about six years now, but it's never been to the scale that it's been over the last year and uh, you know we, we had to ask ourselves the question you know what what do we do you know how can we meet these people uh, where they are and, and you know the interesting thing the bigger picture is the opportunity we have as the church to be the church and to serve these people you know for decades missionaries have tried to go into the Middle East underground and have such a hard time even giving up their life to, to, to go share the love of Christ with them. And now we've got the millions coming to us in Europe and desperate for hope. And uh, so, so we try in all kinds of ways uh, to, to, to serve them. Uh, one of the, the biggest projects we have going right now, uh, I love this project so much, and it's actually in partnership with World Vision. Uh, we started a conversation uh, about um, seven, eight months ago with World Vision you know, how, what can we do to help integrate these people? And the truth is that, you know, government really has done a good job of taking care of basic needs. They get, you know, a small stipend every month for food and things like that. They've got more clothes than they know what to do with. Mm. And, and they, most of all of them have a place to stay, whether it's a camp, hotel, or, or some kind of apartment complex. Um, but the question is, how do we integrate all these people? It's something that the government alone can't stem. Uh, the people... And, and really we see the opportunity of the church is to help uh, help them integrate. And so uh, for us it's really building relationships with them, getting to know who they are, getting to know their story, and finding out how can we come alongside them in the process. Uh, for them, you know, that takes one to two years to get an approval of actually getting to stay. And so we started conversation with World Vision. World Vision has done, you know, partnerships with, with children all over the world, but never really refugee-specific ministry. And so they were looking in Germany for, for organizations or churches who they could partner with. And actually the president of World Vision, uh, Christopher Waffenschmidt, uh, a good friend of the Zimmerman family, um, it came to us and said, you know, how can we help? We came up with this idea of uh, what if we um, bought a van, uh, called it a mobile game bus. In German it's called a Spielmobil. <laughs> and um, what if we customized it in such a way uh, that, that we can go into camps and uh, give just children uh, back a piece of their childhood. Mm. So basically what we did is um, uh, World Vision funded this project, uh, including a two-year uh, full-time position for, for a project manager. Uh, 
Wow. And so we were able to to buy a van. Uh, we renovated the, ba- the van. And uh, basically it's got toys in it for kids of all ages from 0 to 18. Um, and even these toys, uh, in, in combination with people who are professionals in these fields, uh, have, have come up with ways to also pick toys um, that help kids develop uh, as far as um, you know, motor, motor skills and communication skills. Mm. Because even though we talk about this being an opportunity for kids to gain back a piece of their childhood after all this trauma and these things, um, th- this, this, this project goes much deeper than that. Uh, we get to go into camps and we go uh, weekly or bi-weekly uh, to the same camps. The van is now on the road almost every day. Wow. And so the goal is really longevity. We want to build long-term relationships with these families, uh, not just go once and leave. And so in all four cities, we're doing this. And, um, and, and uh, you know, the goal is to really help these kids, uh, uh, even in communication with volunteers, you know, learning the German language. Uh, from the trauma they've experienced, find ways to, to continue to develop in, in their person, in, in their, uh, like I said, motor skills, communication skills. And uh, the van also includes, a, uh, and I love this, a coffee and tea bar. Mm. Um, and in and, and the bottom of the van is a slot where we've got a bunch of benches and tables, wooden benches and tables. We, we throw those, uh, those out, and as the kids play, the parents get to sit and watch their kids play. And uh, we have adult volunteers that, that spend intentional time with the families drinking tea and coffee mm. uh, during this time to build relationship, to, to hear their story. And, um, you know, we've seen even out of these relationships, um, uh, conversation of faith start and people interested in, in why we do what we do and um, even people coming to volunteer with the project so we've got now refugees who are working with us who are translators for us in Arabic and Farsi uh, to tell us even go deeper into communication mm. uh, with people uh, so it's even an opportunity to um, you know these refugees that come most of them very well educated we meet lawyers doctors pharmacists social workers government workers these are smart people that have given up everything to come you know spent thousands of euros dollars uh, but they're here for a year or two until they get approved they can't do anything mm. so we're trying to find ways even to give them empowerment and to give them a, a part of the dignity back is to allow them to help themselves uh, not just for us to come and do everything. Uh, so we, d- we even do a bi-weekly lunch in each city uh, mm. to build community. Uh, we, we, we serve a free lunch, and in each of these lunches, we, we have close to 100 refugees every week. Um, a lot of the same people every week because uh, some of them have told us, you know, we've become family for them. Mm. And so uh, today, when we started, it was all us doing everything, and now the majority of the work is being done by refugees who are mm. cooking, uh, they get to cook some of their special meals, mm. uh, cultural meals, you know, Syrian food. We've got, we've got food from from Iraq food, Iraqi food. We've got uh, Lebanese food, uh, Ethiopian food, and so these people get to share a part of their culture, a part of their history, uh, with us. And so it's really coming alongside one another. How can we, you know, at the end of the day, we have so much more in common than we do have differences. Uh, we're all a people. We're all humans. We're all uh, we're all in need of one another, and 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 we believe of, of something greater than that. Mm. Uh, that that we call God. You mm. know that we call a Creator, 
uh, who, who wants to cooperate, to work with us in redeeming all things. And these are all opportunities to, to just, um, you know, our slogan at Church in Action is we want to see how heaven breaks into our lives, into our cities, into our world. Mm-hmm. And it's really a, 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 a very central kingdom mindset that, that we want to see how, uh, you know, the Lord's Prayer, how, how God's kingdom breaks into this world. And not someday down the road, but right now today, believing mm-hmm. that God wants to redeem all things now through his creation he wants mm-hmm. to redeem his creation through creation and um we just we just want to be a small part of that and do anything we can to do that and and you know we we call this oftentimes a big experiment oh we and and i had i just spoke the other day at, at a place and somebody asked me you know most churches and even businesses have somewhat of a five-year plan you know what's kind of your vision down the road and and i just kind of chuckled and i said you know I'm not really sure we even have a one-day plan, you know. <laughs> I mean, of course we have vision and strategy where we want to go, uh, but but really it's just we continue to just look for need and we mm. try to go meet that need in whatever mm. way we can, and um, just day by day taking another step and trying to redeem everything for Him. What surprised you most about working with refugees? Was there a mindset shift? for you um, from maybe what your perception of refugees was before working with that project and then now? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, even uh, before I moved uh, to Germany, you know, at the beginning of 2015, uh, and then it kind of just uh, took off more and more, um, the crisis being reported, you know, in media all around the world, and, uh, you know, even people talking in the climate of, of kind of the conversations that were happening. And, you know, I had a very, um, I mean, honestly, you know, probably a much more negative perception than a positive perception. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I didn't really know what to expect, you know, seeing what's happening today and, and you know, the fear that's being spread, you know, and, and I get it, rightfully so. You know, people are afraid for their families. People are afraid for their, for their children. And, and I get that, and I think that's, that's okay. Um, but, you know, one thing that I've realized over the years is that even myself here, you know, I ask a lot of people that are so afraid. I said, you know, uh, do, you, do you know a Muslim? Do you have a friend? Have you ever had a meal with one? Have you ever looked into their eyes and heard their story? And the overarching answer is no, never. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's really much more, and you can, I think, translate that into any, you know, people group that you might have differences with and, and see potential dangers or, or you're afraid of something, you know, before you really get to know people uh, that come from a totally different part of the world, totally different background, culture, uh, before you really get to know them, it's, it's hard to really have a, a true perception of, of who, they, who they are. And uh, so over the last year, you know, my, my worldview in that aspect has just been absolutely blown to pieces um, because family after family that I get to talk to, that I get to walk alongside to, I look into their eyes, you know, older people, young kids. You know, I have 10-year-old kids uh, that tell me things that I can't even imagine that they've experienced. Mm. And families telling me, things, you know, their story of how they came to Germany, why they fled, uh, what they've seen, you know, firsthand. 
And, um, you know, the truth is there are millions of people out there who are truly in desperate need, and they have no hope. And the only hope that if they have any that is left is us willing to take the step, you know, and, and any time you step into the unknown, it's scary. And that's part of an unknown. You don't, we don't know them. Uh, they're so different than us. That's like, at least that's what we think. But once you step into a, a common space and you engage in conversation and you allow those barriers to fall, mm. it just changes everything. It changes everything. Even that's been one of my main things that I've been trying to convey. Anywhere I get a chance to speak and share stories of Muslims, you know, even these, these people that are so much looking for hope, we've seen so many find that hope in Christ mm. in the last year. I mean, just in the last few weeks, we had 42 Muslims come to Christ. We're looking for 42 people in our community to disciple wow. um, these, these new believers. Um, and like I said, you know, this opportunity of, of millions of them coming to Europe, um, this is a chance for the church to be the church, to love them without agenda, to love them. And, and for us, I think it's, it, t- it takes to, to drop that fear, to, to, to drop those barriers. Um, you know, because when Christ said to, to follow him, you know, Bonhoeffer, I think, says it best when he said, um, you know, Christ calls us, he says, bid me, he, he comes and bids me, come and die. You know, laying our lives down, that includes our fears. And, uh, you know, following Christ and loving them mm. and trusting Him. You know, at the end of the day, it's do we trust God uh, to lead us in that? And, you know, and I don't, I don't, I don't cover up or, or um, you know, tell people that I don't wrestle at times. Um, of course, there's times I walk down in Frankfurt the street and I see Muslim after Muslim and I question as well. My my first thoughts aren't always pure. Or, you know, I, I, I have bad thoughts. You know, I think like, man, you know, what happened yesterday really, again, skewed my perspective. But I'm just so convinced that if we let fear guide us, and when I say us, I mean the church, global church, I think we're making a big mistake. And I think we're passing up maybe the biggest opportunity at least in our generation that we've ever had to revive the church in this world and i'm not even talking germany uh, alone i'm talking worldwide god has given us an opportunity here and he's calling us to forget about our comfortable lives and to go and just trust him and to love these people well and to just be the church whatever it takes long term just be present. That's what I'm convinced of, and, and, and that's my biggest prayer, is that, that we just wake up to this opportunity um, to love these people. Mm. You know, even, I think, the first step for, for all of us as the church, uh, you know, even me, like I said, um, confessing fear at times. You know, I mean, just last week in, in Munich, an hour and a half from us, you know, incident after incident, it's happening all over. Um, but encouraging us to take a first step in prayer and just asking God 
to, to even if we don't know or we probably don't know how to let go of this fear on our own, but asking God to take this fear from us and to stop the conversations that are so negative and so degrading in, in, in many ways and start wrestling with the tough questions and saying, what do we need to do to be the church in this moment of time? Let's join in prayer in that, in that journey. What inspires you to stay in the Church of the Nazarene? What keeps you here? Hmm. You know, probably the biggest thing that inspires me, I mean, apart from uh, really connecting and uh, loving the theology uh, of, of, of the Nazarene Church, um, is, is probably the people who've impacted my life in the Church. Um, there have been so many people, and I could name them, and it would take a long time. Uh, so many people in the Nazarene Church specifically that have shaped me, inspired me, mentored me, guided me. Um, and I, and I, I just love the connectedness, the family, the community of the Nazarene Church. And, you know, like any denomination, I think there's a lot of things uh, that, that, that we need to wrestle with. Uh, in order to move forward, uh, there's a lot of things um, that uh, that needs to be done. There's a lot of work to be done, um, but I say that with with a heart of hope, a positive heart of hope, uh, believing we can do that very thing, and, and I want to be a part of that. And uh, I I I just want to be what other people have been for me within. Uh, this church and you know that's what I love about Chris and Philip is, is just you know they don't want to start something new they they see that specifically in Germany the Nazarene church has struggled and it's been tough and it's been declining and you know people are having a hard time of looking at new ways creative ways to reach people uh, and and Chris and Philip really have have stepped out in faith and, and doing a lot of new things um, Chris and Philip loved this denomination, this church, so much. I shared that with them, and I think our church in general does. We don't want to start something new. Uh, we don't want to be that in, in Germany. We, we want to, within the network of the Nazarene Church, help us as a denomination uh, rethink church and rethink ways of how can we guide people into a life of holiness and into a life of, of pursuing Christ, mm. of pursuing the person of Jesus. That's what inspires me to stay. If somebody wanted to learn more about what you do or they have questions about something you've talked about, how can they reach you? How can they contact you? Yeah, I mean, I, lo I love connecting with people. I love also hearing what, what, uh, what others are doing around the world, encouraging one another. Uh, the best way to do that is, is, is through email. Um, my email address is uh, eric, E-R-I-C, e 627smith at gmail.com. Um, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Otherwise, Facebook, Instagram, uh, all those things. Uh, I, I post every once in a while. Uh, I've, I've kind of uh, swayed away from that over time just because being so busy. But I try to keep people up to date on, on what's happening and certain stories that, that we're experiencing. But three months is the best way to contact me. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me.